welcome to our first Talking Hedge of 2022. I'm your host, Pratesh Ruprel, Chief Commercial Officer at Shorehedge. For our ninth episode of Talking Hedge, I'm pleased to welcome Michael Callas, Senior VP and Head of LOU by Talent House. Michael is a virtuoso in the fintech and financial services industry with over 20 years experience advising, leading, establishes businesses and startups across the globe. He's also, interestingly, an accomplished opera singer, which we'll, we'll touch on later in the uh, podcast, and has spent 13 years building a freelance career singing in Europe as well, across Asia and the Americas. So, Michael, um, thank you for joining us. Sure. Um, maybe to begin, you could tell us a little bit about your background uh, and how you, how you got to here today. Uh, sure. So, um, for life as an opera singer, but um, always had this burning desire to build stuff, right? So, so I always kind of had... I, my mom jokes I was always serving two masters, right? I, 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 I started playing piano when I was four and singing when I was about six or, six or seven years old direct, to, to sort of correct my stutter. Um, and, and I love that. And, you know, loving opera means that you love history, love languages, love, you know, going around the world and, you know, go to Italy for the summer and learn Italian, that kind of stuff, right? Um, but I also had a big drive to kind of build... Um, businesses. And so all through my career, I'd be, you know, building a real estate business or, or investing in something or, or trying to build something bigger than me. Um, I, I wound up in Spain after Bear Stearns fell, um, and, which is an important marker in my, in, in my life, uh, and um, sort of fell into uh, an amazing world of, of a growing startup scene, uh, really smart technologists, um, and was very lucky to become CEO of a firm called Step One Ventures in Madrid that had been founded by two of Spain's top entrepreneurs. Um, so I got exposed very, very quickly uh, to this incredible world that, that we're in. Um, and after a couple of years, I decided that my heart was singing uh, while I was running around the world, you know, supporting entrepreneurs and trying to look for VC money and all that <laughs> stuff, you know, as, as we've discussed. Um, and so, you know, done, done, done stuff at Vodafone Group, uh, huge learning there, got to work in Africa, et cetera, uh, was the EY for a little while, uh, had done a bunch of startups in, in, in the time being. And, you know, my, my partner and I were, were thinking about moving to the United States. I'd been offered a CEO gig of a bank. And then I met Claire McKeeve, our, our chief executive at Talent House. And my whole, like the alignment of like purpose and mission sort of just like come, come together and I'm here and I couldn't be more delighted um, to be part of Talent House and more importantly with you today. Oh, amazing. Thanks. What a great intro. I'm excited for this one. So, um, Michael, you know, when I look at the creative economy, you can see that there's some 30 odd million people working in creative industries all over the world. And, you know, they generate over 2 billion, 2 trillion a year almost in the economic value, which is about 3% of the world's GDP. So why do you think, you know, they may be taken less seriously when it comes to some other industries? Because that's a, that's a powerful set of stats there when I see them. It is. You know, it's one of those things, I, I, probably about five, six years, years ago, I became sort of obsessed with this, this idea of vertical banking, yeah. right? So, so you know, uh, I, I, I've been fascinated by banks since I was a boy. I know it sounds super nerdy, but I think they're really cool. And I happen to believe that banks can become a, 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 a force for good on the planet, right? So I think as we sort of reorganize what work is and where work comes from and how we value that work, um, it's sort of natural that you're gonna have 
these sort of groups of of, of creators, groups of, of freelancers, groups of, of of what have you, kind of forming a, a, a around the world. I don't think that they're being taken for granted or not understood. But you know, if you're a, a large behemoth bank, what can you possibly? You know, it's very hard to sort of you know get get focused on on these verticals, right? And so I think that it's not so much about them not being taken seriously, but it's more about being set up to understand the pain points and actually solve them. Yeah. If that makes any kind of sense, right? Yeah. Okay. And, and what do you do? Go on, sir. No, no, please. Well, no, I, I think that, you know, we've had the unbundling of fintech. Uh, obviously, that's how we all started, right? You know, it's like, well, let me do this part better, and this part better, and this part better. And I think now we're at a point where we can begin to conscientiously and, and with a real purpose, rebundle those services and kind of land them. Right, that last mile of understanding your member, that last mile of being able to serve them, um, is now possible in a way that it wasn't five years ago or ten years ago. Certainly not not ten ten years ago, right? What are the what are the kind of advantages for the larger brands or businesses when it comes to this network? You say they're these big famous, but how can they take advantage of it? Maybe uh... well. You know, let me give you a good example. You know, yeah. um, I, 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 for some reason, I was drafted into marketing conversations. I guess I'm a natural born salesman or something. But, you know, when you're trying to market, you know, your global brand, trying to market into a, a market that's new to you, you know, there are so many nuances about getting that right. And one thing is sort of going to New York or London and talking to, to the experts about that. Um, another thing is to have the actual creativity come from that market that they're trying to serve. Yeah. Right? I think that more and more big brands, I mean, certainly Talent House is, you know, we, we have 14 million members across the world, right? Yeah. And these people are gold to big firms because they can actually get hyper-specific, um, getting the right folks to help them build the right products or, or to market the right product or, 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 or what have you, right? And that's why I think things get super exciting. I think more and more brands, you know, we have we serve some of the world's biggest brands at Talent House, right? Yeah. Um, and they love us because they don't, you know, we're sort of disintermediating uh, the old way of doing things, right? Where you, you know, you'd call a marketing firm and then they would farm out the work. And now it's sort of, I love that, that disintermediation, right? And that's, I think, where the real magic is for these brands. And also for creatives being able to access these gold brands, right? Being able to put on your resume that you work with Coca-Cola or what have you. That's a big deal. Right. So I think that's sort of the, you know, we're, we're in a world of, of constant flux. Right. So you have to look at all of these different elements as a as a whole. And I think at this moment, we're in a sort of entering a golden age of creativity. Uh, no question that the pandemic, et cetera, has accelerated a lot of folks wanting to explore the creativity further. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm a child of, of 9-11. You know, I was in New York City that day and, and, and it, it, I remember uh, going back to a rehearsal for Don Giovanni um, at school, actually. And the stage director, director saw us all, you know, we're in New York, we're glum, you know, we've lost friends. My partner was a, uh, his father was a firefighter. We, you know, it was just a horrible time. And he looked at us like, uh, guys, we're in the business of emotion. And right now people need you more than ever. Yeah. Well, this pandemic is, I think, making it very clear that we need creativity more than ever. And creativity comes from any corner of the planet. And that's a beautiful thing to be able, be able to live by. Very beautiful comment as well. So, um, when it comes to the um, the creative freelancers themselves and and you know their own financial freedom and things like yeah. that, what are the types of challenges that they face as kind of an underserviced market when it comes to like their, their own finances? Certainly, certainly. Well, you know, first of all, let's let's um, 
a freelancer, uh, many faiths are freelancers, right? But the freelancer kind of on, on their own, right? So if, if I'm freelancing, for example, let's say uh, as a consultant, right? Very different setup to if, if I'm a freelance creative, right? It's a, it's a different, even getting paid is different, right? The, 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 the persona is, is very different, right? And, and when I was performing, the last thing I wanted to worry about was insurance or invoicing or tax harmonization or this or that. It drove me crazy. Yeah. Right? It was very hard to maintain kind of Malakalis, the career of singing and my other business interests, right? I had no issue, fix, you know, calling some tax person for my firm, but for myself, like, oh my God, where do I live? What do I do? Right? And so the needs of creatives, you know, we, we always say that we want to, you know, allow our creatives to create freely. Right, that means not having to worry about invoicing and yeah. worry worry about chasing invoices or or borrowing money, etc. Right. So our biggest mission really is, is 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 for us to be able to see that creative as a full person. Sure, yeah. part of them is freelancer. Part of them also wants to you know be be nomadic. Right. Parts of them they want to have kids. They want to buy a house. Right. Yeah. And so if the establishment doesn't see my members as fully formed humans, which they are, uh, then we're solving that problem. And it's a hard problem to solve and we're just beginning our journey, right? Yeah. So the, the, the I guess for me, the, the kind of idea behind a short hedge was always to bring um, hedging products to everyone, um, mm. be SMEs or businesses that previously didn't have access to these products. Sure. So, um, for, for, like, can you kind of give, give the guys a feel for, for how fintech can help solve some of the problems? That, sure. Well, let's talk about fintech generally first. Yeah, and then, yeah. so, so, so fintech, gen- right? So, I spoke about unbundling, right? So, now yeah. I can pick up the phone. I just solved the problem, right? We have a market that uh, another payment provider had pulled out of. Yeah. And thanks to fintech out of Israel, we're going to solve that problem, that pain point, right? Yeah. Because People like us have been running around for the past 15 years solving those very specific problems. Yeah. So it's about that recombination element, right? So any fintech listening to me right now who might have a solution for us, email me, call me, send a pigeon, whatever, right? <laughs> um, um, you know, I, I, I hope that we can sort of become the first stop for someone developing a solution or, 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 or what have you, right, for the creative freelancer, please call us, right? We'd like to, to, to partner. I don't want to reinvent the wheel because I don't have to. There's brilliant people around the world raising money and doing great work that can just plug into us and we help, you know, sort of bring that distribution element to it. The, the, the more complex nuances of things like risk, right? Or hedging, right? These are things that your retail customer has no clue about, right? They either, they, they, they either get the loan or don't. And when it comes to currency hedging, no clue. So I'll think about this, right? I agree with you but that we're going to contract you to, to, to create a new campaign for uh, a, a marketing campaign in Spain, for example, right? At the time of our agreement, I agreed to a certain amount of, 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 of a fee, right? Yeah. Now, when that gets translated from dollars to euros or more complex uh, currencies, right? Um, that's what I assume I'm going to make. Well, three months later, that could be vastly different, right? So I believe that currency hedging actually brings a level of fairness and a level of of transparency and a level of assuredness to our members that they shouldn't have to worry about, right? Sort of like being tasked with fixing risk for creatives, right? So I find hedging to be sort of one of those things that 
God knows it's not sexy on the retail side, but people are delighted when it works. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love the way you put that together. So in terms of um, um, solving problems of freelancers, what was kind of the inspiration behind LOU? You know, um, I was... Uh, you, you sell them... Well, walk into a firm and go, oh, my God, I get it, right? And uh, another mutual friend of ours contacted me and said, you know, give Townhouse a let's talk to Townhouse. And yep. they care about our community in a way that I have not seen anyone care about vendors. Because on paper, they're vendors. No, not Townhouse, right? When it takes 40 days for payment services to to let a payment go, for example, but right? I won't mention certain payment services that, you know, are sort of, were great 10 years ago, 20 years ago, but now are, you know, a little old. Um, that is a pain point that we can't solve using those old rails, right? And that pain point is really front and center to everyone at our firm, right? Um, and our chief executive, Claire Machieve, you know, takes this personally. And so when you take a problem personally, you tend to solve it with, with a vengeance, right? And the real inspiration was basically making our creatives' lives easier, truly, right? 30 or 40 days for, for, for some people in the world is no big deal, but for most people, it's life or death, literally, right? Yeah. Um, so this is, this is not a, this, it's, it's, this is not a, a minor improvement, incremental improvement. This is a major improvement. Right. Yep. So I think that's really been the been the impetus. And I think that once again, you know, we have uh, our, our chairman, Roman Scharf, right, who is in Vienna, uh, uh, head of corporate development, sorry, chief co corporate development person, uh, Scott Lanfear. These gentlemen know fintech and banking inside and out. Right. So I walked into the perfect storm uh, because they get it. They we speak that language. And then Claire has this vision of like how things should go. And I've got 14 million people who already use our platforms, right? So it's a, it's a perfect storm for, I hope, a successful product. It's a, it's a, it sounds like a really passionate kind of cause that you have there and uh, a community that's very strong and supportive of what you're doing. Um, you know, Claire, Claire really made me smile when she talked about the passion economy. Yeah. And it really is that, yeah. right? And, and, and maybe I wasn't able to thrive as an artist at that time, but if I can help artists today and creatives thrive in a passion economy, that's a win, a big win. You know, yeah. that, that, that means more people creating, that means more people living from their, from, from, from creating beautiful stuff, right? And we need more beautiful stuff, man. Yeah. <laughs> and speaking of beautiful stuff and passion, how has your uh, experience as an opera singer influenced your career in FinTech? So, a couple of things. Um, when you decide to take on an, instru an instrument, and then one like that, that that you carry in you, discipline is critical. So I, I from elementary school, was very disciplined with how I managed my time. Um, academics were always most important because I come from immigrant families, which you know, that means A's, a B is a failure, right? Yeah. So I had to perform at school. I had to perform because of my ego, frankly, as an artist, right? So I really got very quite good at segmenting and controlling my time and being quite disciplined. I also think that 
opera especially opens you up to, you know, the, the best definition of, of an opera is extraordinary people have an extraordinary day, right? So when you grow, when you want to grow up to perform these roles, like Don Giovanni, for example, right? Uh, play you know, by Mozart, right? Based on Beaumarchais' plays. Um, this is enlightenment stuff. This is major cultural change. So to be a decent Don Giovanni, you should know the story. To be a great one, you need to understand what happened before and after, right? There's a concept, an opera of residue, right? So I walk in as Leporello, I walk in as, as whomever on stage. I come in having that day, you know, already lived, right? You, you, you don't just walk on, oh, here I am, right? And I think that that level of training, that, that, that level of research, that obsession with the truth, that obsession with trying to be, um, trying to give a performance that, that's authentic and real, um, hugely influences how business works. I also got, was very lucky that when I started seeing, I, I, had, I, I was very, I, I was given many opportunities very young, most, younger than most, right? Carnegie, et cetera. And so I was surrounded immediately by world-class artists, but also world-class business people um, that understood the importance of supporting art, right? And I, I, you know, my first job in New York that wasn't singing was uh, working for a woman called Kate Koplovitz, who had founded USA Networks, right? So I used to get her assistant, Olivia Coffee. And uh, these people sort of took me under their wing and just sort of taught me about VC. I, I was looking at term sheets when I was 19, right? We actually raised fund via fax, okay? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that, that, that does show my age, but that's, a, that's fine. Um, and so I got to meet titans of industry when I was singing. And I realized that I wanted to go out to dinner with them to learn more than I did with the maestri I was working for. Um, but I think that, that, that I'm very grateful for the discipline. I'm very grateful for, for, for the exposure. Plus, frankly, the language um, flexibility that one has. Right? I mean, you have to be able to at least sound decent in Italian, French, German, Russian, right? Uh, and you have to go to Russia and sing there, right? I, I was singing in Russia when I was 21, right? So, so when people talk about, uh, about Russia, I understand it in a very different way. I worked there, right? So now as, as a making guy, I guess, um, I have that facility to, to go most places in the world and, and be able to you know, not be a typical American, I'm sorry, bad American, like, I'll do it our way, you know, and you sort of, you sort of embrace those cultural differences and that's where the magic happens, right? So I think a lot of it is exposure. I think a lot of it was discipline and, and, and a lot of it was just, I mean, failure happens a lot, right? Most auditions are not good. And, and you sort of let go of failure easier and you sort of, you know, that, that, that makes you, that, that, that toughens you up. I'm a nice guy, but I'm, I've got rhino skin. And I think that's what you need in, in business and in opera, frankly. That's a great, that's a great parallel between um, <laughs> your, your background and uh, kind of the VC world where, you know, you learn to accept certain things go your way, certain things don't. <laughs> Um, having been a trader in my past, I think one of the things that you learn to do is keep an even kill. You know, day to day, things don't go your way. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Through whatever emotions, you have to learn to keep pretty steady. And that's important with any kind of business. So it's a good, it's a good, good transition. Um, we, we have a couple of questions, Michael, and uh, I hope you don't mind if I, if I, if I, if I put them through. Um, I'm a Libra. <laughs> pardon? I, I'm a Libra. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, 
The first one's a little bit of a cheeky request. Uh, somebody's asked, are we going to see nope. any of any of Michael's opera talents on this podcast? Definitely not. Nope. <laughs> nope. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad really? to hear I've only had one coffee and I just had a cigarette, so no, not going to happen. <laughs> Good. Well, somebody will have to find you uh, when you're performing to get a hold of that one. That'll um, be girls, man, and, and, and only on special re- requests. I leave the singing to the pros now. Good. Nice. So. <laughs> Thank um, you, the, uh, the, the, uh, the next question for one of our followers is, uh, what do you think the next big trend is in fintech? I don't know. I mean, I do. I, I, I hope it's, it's, it's double-sided. So yeah. back to the service, banking the service, right, is getting so good. And I think sort of bringing that, as that continues to evolve, I think it's about the really specific and purposeful rebundling of services, right? I do think that people are tired of having too many apps on their phone. Yeah. Uh, I think the article in Forbes that our chairman shared with, with me on the first or second week of work, saying that m- 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 millennials, which I unfortunately am, being born in 1980, which is shocking, um, I, thought, I feel way older, um, are tired of having 40 to, 40 to 50 apps on our phone to do di- different things, right? That was okay before my life got more complex and more complicated, but now I'm too busy. I can't do 40 apps, right? So sometimes I don't trade you know, on my you know trading apps because I don't have time, right? So I think the the thoughtful rebundling of these services geared specifically for these verticals. You know, there's a lot of people on the planet. And I think that we're united more than just by region, right? I always think about like the the, the community bank, yeah, thing, right? Like now, community banks are global because my community, I have people in Thailand, I have people in Indonesia, I have people in South Africa, I have people all over the world, right? Yeah. So I, I think that that's the next thing. And I think it's getting more complex. You know, I think that the harder the problem to solve, the the more, the better the solutions that we're going to have out there to choose from. Is it a case of you'll see an emergence of kind of big um, aggregators of, of, of things just to consolidate, yeah. make that user experience so much more unified and... Think about this, right? What is, you know, you've raised money for startups. I've raised money for, for fintechs, right? Biggest problem to solve is, is distribution, right? So if I can distribute to 14 million people and counting, yeah. that, that, then, then I bring a big solution to the fintech world is how to get, get, get customers, yeah. right? And so many founders now don't care about their brand being first and foremost. They care about paying back their investors, you know? Yeah. And, their, their employees eating, right? So I, I love that. I think that the the sort of the ego shedding has happened quite a bit, right? I mean, yes. I think I would have been upset if my first product, I want my logo. Now, who cares? You know? Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Um, <laughs> well, look, Michael, it's um, it's been a real pleasure having you on the, on the podcast this morning. Um, thank, thank you for your time. Is there anything else you'd kind of like to, to tell the audience today before before we sign off? One more time, if you're a fintech founder with something I should see, reach out. Fantastic. <laughs> very much. <laughs> thanks. So our next Talking Hedge will be in a few weeks' time. Until then, I wish you all a great week, and thanks for joining us today. Thanks again, Michael. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye. Cheers. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks.